This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Minnesota United States Senator Amy Klobuchar. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Senator Amy Klobuchar next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Minnesota U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar is a member of the Senate Agriculture Committee, but also serves on the Joint Economic Committee. Klobuchar says there's little doubt the U.S. economy is suffering, but not beyond recovery. I think we can recover. I am really concerned about the economy. There's some forecasts outside of politics that say we're looking at a 33% annualized reduction in GDP this year. And, of course, many businesses are suffering, including a lot of small businesses, because they just don't have uh, the leverage or the size to be able to absorb it. And so that's why I continue to advocate for the HEROES Act, which would be very helpful to agriculture in Minnesota and across the country, which would be $33 billion in direct assistance to make sure that we're helping producers and covering losses that have been experienced across all of agriculture. I do think we will recover. I always call it the day after tomorrow. I think we will have a moment where we'll say, okay, we're heading back. But to do that, we're going to have to have adequate testing. We've got to get this vaccine out in a good way. And obviously, we don't know what that vaccine is going to be yet. Scientists all over the world are working on it. We want to make sure it's safe. And from there, we will be able to uh, have a strong economy. But we've got to be able to rebuild. The CARES Act in March had overwhelming support, but the latest effort toward assistance has obviously been more challenging. So from your perspective for Minnesota and for the nation, what really should be a part of any new COVID assistance package? Well, first of all, our local and state Governments are really suffering. They can't borrow a bunch of money, and especially in rural areas, I've heard it over and over again. I think that's really important. Having the industries that have been really hard hit, um, making sure that there's a focus on them. And I won't start with ag because that would just be, you know, too much like I'm trying to suck up here, uh, but I will end there. And that includes industries like tourism, like I was just in Moorhead with Colin Peterson. We've got the stages, uh, the amphitheater in Moorhead that is going to go under if we don't help them in the short term to get through it. And they were reminiscing about the Merle Haggard concerts that had been there. And there's just a lot of smaller places, mid-size, like Mankato, uh, really need that. You've got testing, um, especially with our pork producers. I was down in Worthington and turkey processors making sure that we have adequate testing so we can keep our processing going in Minnesota, such an important part of our food industry. And then you have the direct ag part. And as I mentioned, the HEROES Act was $33 billion in direct assistance. Unfortunately, the Senate Republicans have 
suggested only 60% of that amount. And so that's one of the big fights about where that amount should be. And I think that we have to look at our farmers that face not only horrific weather conditions like what happened in Iowa um, with the storms, um, but um, also they have faced, of course, changes, sudden changes in demand. You've got the problems with biofuels because of the waivers pre-pandemic. Uh, from the Trump administration to the oil companies, and we have all kinds of headwinds that we are going into. And you had low commodity prices before we even got into the pandemic. Uh, you've got countries that are experiencing problems themselves around the world, so then they put up trade barriers. Um, so that's why um, I think it is really important that we pass a second major bill. We've done smaller ones along the way here since the pandemic. We did the first big one and some smaller changes to improve the PPP program and the like. But I really think we need this HEROES Act and it needs to keep being negotiated. It doesn't have to be exactly like what the House passed. And a few months have gone by here, but this is game time. And Mitch McConnell's got this thing on his desk and he's got to call it up for a vote. All he keeps calling up for votes are judges, honestly. That's what it is all week is judges. And then they're doing this skinny version, which is like a Band-Aid, which doesn't have enough funding for rural Minnesota. And let me make clear, that includes hospitals, testing. Rural hospitals are really suffering. Broadband, there's no money for broadband. That is the number one thing I hear in rural Minnesota because of the fact that you now have kids if they go in and out of remote learning, even if some of them are open or half open, that aren't able to compete with their classmates simply because they don't have high-speed broadband. Are we throwing money at a broadband problem, or do you feel that the administration and Congress are offering a structured approach to make sure that we close that digital divide? Well, I've been working on this for years, and I would have put a ton of money into it, honestly. It's like rural electrification years ago. Come on. They, could, they have this in Iceland, okay? They, they, have, they have a volcanoes going off in lava, and they've got broadband, high-speed access to every household. And so we can do this, and we could have done it before the pandemic. And Trump had said he wanted to do it when he got elected, that he wanted to do more on broadband. But we just haven't done it in the global way. I mean, global, not worldwide, but global Minnesota, everywhere-wide, that we need to do so that we can compete. And it's just such a disadvantage when you've got 10 to 15 percent of households, and that's the number, something like 144,000 households in our state don't have access to high speed, and they're almost all in rural. You offered a letter recently of reasons for denied access to CFAP funds, you and other senators together, uh, apparently some discrepancy in data submitted that would determine eligibility. What answers are you looking for? So this CFAP program, and I know a lot of your listeners are well aware of every acronym I could ever use, but for those that don't know, it's the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, and it's helped a lot of farmers, but certain farmers, for no reason, were denied eligibility, and I focus here on wheat and turkey. Seventy percent of all of 2019 wheat production, independent turkey farmers, and biofuel processing plants were not included in CFAP. And that's why I called on the administration to support these farmers. Literally, some types of wheat were included, and especially in some other parts of the country, and not ours. And so that's why we have been calling on the USDA 
to include these producers and farmers. There's absolutely no reason you should be treating people differently just because of the type of wheat uh, that they produce. Moving to the renewable fuel standard, the Trump EPA did advance E15 sales year-round, but they continued to grant small refinery exemptions. It's cut into the blend mandate, and it's hurt demand for corn. Senator, what's the path forward? Well, that is pretty clear. Uh, They've got to stop doing these exemptions. They did 85 exemptions for oil companies, and they weren't just, it used to be just a handful of small refineries every year that were struggling. They did it to Exxon. They gave one to Chevron, um, and that's how you got up to 4 billion gallons. So even with the year-round E85, which I've long advocated for, and I thank them for doing it, even with that, that just got swallowed up by the fact that they gave all these exemptions. And then, of course, we've seen idling and in sometimes closure or major reductions in half of the biofuel plants in our country. I'll never forget going to see one in Iowa. I don't know why I was down there. No, that's a joke. So uh, (laughs) I went to see a biofuel plant that closed down a biodiesel, and the worker who was the last one remaining, the only one working, took out a coat rack with the workers' uniforms, and they said things like Bob and Tom and Salvador were embroidered on their work uh, uniforms. And he said, you know, all my friends are gone because there's no job here, and I've kept all these uniforms on this coat rack in case they come back. So this has been going on way pre-pandemic, and it was a big problem, and the administration, in my mind, was posing up to the oil companies. That's why it happened. Now they've got a bunch of them in front of them, and reports this week indicate that maybe they're going to deny some of them, but uh, great, that's what I've called for. But they're not going back and changing what they already did, which got us into the bad place uh, that we were in. And so that's why Senator Grassley, the Republican from Iowa, and I have worked so closely together to lead these efforts, along with Senator Smith and others, to support biofuel producers negatively affected uh, by the pandemic and before. Turning to farm policy and looking ahead, is there room for climate-based or carbon sequestration in new farm programs, or does that come from another area? No, we've been leading the way in some really interesting ways, including in the last farm bill where we have funding that's gone out for a pilot that would focus on cover crops and giving farmers that extra incentive to plant cover crops so that they're part of the solution instead of just having no cover crops on there. And that's been, I think we're waiting for the reports from everything good. I think we should institute that nationwide and not just as a pilot. And farmers can be a major part of the solution here. I just don't think we should go into this as we see the wildfires raging in California and know this could happen anywhere in the country, including in farm areas, although it's mostly in forests. But those are that's our brothers and sisters there, the forestry. I'm on the Agriculture Forestry Committee, and we have to do everything we can to reduce the threat of climate change. Eventually, it's going to catch up with everyone, right? It's going to make it harder for people in so many parts of the country to grow things, and it's going to change things. We're already seeing some weird insects and other predators and parasites and things that have come up because of the changing climate that are a threat to our crops and to our animals. And so that's why it's really important, I think, that we take this on. And there were some really that they've worked for years on these rules that 
would have been helpful on the greenhouse gases, and it wasn't as extreme as some businesses feared when the Obama administration put it out, and there were exemptions and changes for ag in it that just ended up on the cutting room floor, and I think it would have been a nice way to start this thing was with those, and maybe the if there's a new administration that can go back look at them, because we just can't sit here and pretend it's not happening anymore. Fellow Democrat, uh, fellow member uh, of the Agriculture Committee, Senator Debbie Stabenow is calling for a 15% increase in SNAP funding for any new COVID relief package. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that we've seen a lot of families experience hunger that never thought they would. Uh, there's stories in Minnesota, people used to volunteer at the food shelves are now at the food shelves. And so I think this is a good idea. Again, this can be a temporary thing that goes through the pandemic. Uh, we can do it that way. But the point is, is that I am never someone that I've, well, I was one of the only presidential candidates up there on the stage, in addition to being the first one to come out for the USMCA with the reform, who has expressed concerns about debt. But right now, even the most Republican economists agree that we have to invest because of this crisis. It's like we've been attacked. It's by a disease, but we're under attack as a nation. It's not one state's problem. And that's why we need to invest and make another investment. My hope is if we get through this next, you know, who knows? I don't want to put a time on it with a vaccine, but this next time period and into next year um, that we can start recovering. And then, of course, some of these things will be pulled back because, We've got to look out for the finances of our country. But right now, we just simply don't have a choice or we're going to lose a huge chunk of our economy, including, by the way, let's not forget restaurants, little restaurants and rural towns and coffee shops and things like that um, who are experiencing less business. This past week, I heard Ambassador Greg Dowd suggest that there was still work to be done regarding the USMCA and the dairy agreement between U.S. and Canada. Do you concur? Uh, yeah, there have been some issues with the implementation on the dairy side, and I actually was part of a group of senators that pushed the administration to make that work. Uh, overall, I, w- I supported the reformed USMCA, um, and by the way, those reforms included some things we wanted on, say, pharma. Uh, they got too sweet a deal under the first thing. The pharma, we, the last thing we need is higher pharma prices, and the agreement as a whole, I think, is really important to have the USMCA because of the fact that we've got a trading coalition in North America that's got to stick together as we deal with China as a big competitor. And so what we did with dairy is that we see this potential for export opportunities for the dairy industry, but we've got to make sure that the implementation is right. And so we actually did this as a bipartisan letter, which, as you know, right now, everything is not bipartisan, but it shows what we need to do. We want to make sure Canada is in compliance in terms of their dairy tariff rate quota. Senator, you have a tremendous career of serving your constituents in your state, an outstanding career of standing up for agriculture. You made yourself vulnerable to the voters of the nation and offered yourself uh, for the Oval Office. I'm curious, what did you learn about the country? And what now are your convictions still about what are needed and most critical in this national election? Well, I saw both before the pandemic and during just the extraordinary work of ordinary people and how despite how there's so many 
challenges, and you cannot even express how many there are right now. Like our seniors, like my dad who got COVID, and he's fine now, but you know, standing behind glass trying to talk to their families, or people who are out of work, or people who are just trying to hold on to their small farm because they want to pass it on to their kids. All this stuff is going on right now. So what I saw, and of course, they spent a lot of time in rural areas with the first states actually being Nevada and South Carolina and New Hampshire and Iowa. Uh, They have a lot of different kinds of rural areas. And that was one of the things I was most struck by was just the space that people have in their country and that there is divide. And we know that big time we're going to have the presidential debates coming up. Obviously, I wish I was on there, but I'm very pleased to support Joe Biden. And we are going to see the issues being discussed, and I think people need to tune in. It's not going to be pretty. We know President Trump is really, really negative a lot when he talks, and that's one of the reasons I want to have a new president. But we also know that's part of our civic duty to be part of what we want to be as a country. And so what I saw these divides, a lot of my whole theme, of course, was crossing the river of our divide. That's why I announced in that blizzard next to the Mississippi River and that reaching out across the aisle still continues to be important and that our country is better than some of the divides that you see every day in terms of the fights on TV and the mean tweets and things like that. And there's really big things we need to resolve with everything from the rural issues we've just been talking about to our health care to make it more affordable for people and farmer prices to how we're going to train people for the jobs of tomorrow and make sure that kids that grow up in rural America can stay there to criminal justice reform. There's just a lot of things that we can tackle, but not if we just keep looking for the divides and the glass half full and versus half empty and all of that. Like, I think we have to have this optimism because our country has been through bad things before and we've gotten out the other end. Senator Klobuchar, thank you so much for taking time okay. out of what is a terribly busy schedule. We appreciate your attendance here on Open Mic, and it is Open Mic, so you have the last word today. Well, I just want to give Minnesotans hope here because I, again, have seen the horror of what's going on in my own family with my dad uh, getting sick at 92 and somehow surviving, and my husband at age 52 is really healthy, getting really sick and was in the hospital for a week. And I first say everyone's got to be careful. This is one big bummer that people are isolated and can't hang out with their families like they used to or their friends. But my word of hope is there's every reason to believe that we will get a vaccine. There's work going on all the time, and we've got to make sure it's safe. We don't want to make things worse. And then after that and during it, while things are improving here, we just have to hang in there. Those restaurant owners that are just hanging in there, they're doing it because they know there's going to be a day where you can come in and uh, sit. I think of all of our seniors sitting at the table uh, in the morning because I've been in those cafes so many times for their morning <laughs> breakfast at 9 or 10 a.m., sometimes a men's table and a women's table. I go to both to visit. You know, that's going to happen again. But we just have to get through this time. And part of that getting through this is democracy. And we need to exercise our right to vote. And we need to part of our democracy. And we need to hope for a better day because it's going to come. Our thanks to Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.